The Start On Demand. On demand. Once again, pumping ain't easy after the price of gas jumps from $1.19 to $1.269. Can't blame the carbon tax on this latest hike, so what gives? A Winnipeg woman says a botched breast implant surgery was devastating to her health. We'll learn why she is warning women about her experience and why Health Canada is looking into the safety of these implants. Wild turkeys continue to inhabit Osborne Village days after first being spotted. And ever been stuck in a long line for a movie? Maybe a concert? Greg's got a great story of something that left him out in the cold when he was just six years old. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Thursday, April 4th podcast for The Start. Not a reward was the sticker shock I saw driving in today at the pump. We already had it when the carbon tax took effect, and just for fun, let's go up again. Yeah, 114.1 or 114.9 when we started out very early Monday morning. Yep. I think McNabb got Sunday night pricing mm-hmm. in the middle of the night, Monday on our way in, and then quickly Monday afternoon, the pump price went to about 119.1 or 119.9. And then last night, actually yesterday afternoon, I was on my way to pick up the boys from school and I saw one station at 126.9 and I thought, oh boy, I better go fill up. I tweeted out the fact that I had noticed one station at this price and within about an hour I was getting inundated with tweets. Yeah, it's in St. James, it's in Bridgewater and before you knew it. Last night, pretty much every single gas station in the city was up to 126.9. If you're seeing it for less than that, please let us know, because that is the magic number for gasoline. Regular, by the way. Premium, 144.9. And you can't blame the carbon tax on that. Like, we could say that Monday that we were going to see a hike, but now we're 10 cents over what we saw Monday morning, right? And so, it's just... it had us in an argument this morning about what do we pay in taxes and what goes to the governments and what goes to the gas companies. And we were trying to do the math and then we're like, yeah, we let's get, someone else, in, let's wanna, get someone else on to explain this to us. I want to live in your house because if that qualifies as an argument, I boy, that's nice and calm. Well, it was just that I was like, I think this is what goes to the province. Right. And you said yes, but then there's the GST. Sure. And then we found other diagrams. And before you know it, we were just right confused. But. Well, and I think that means a lot of us are confused. A lot of us wondering exactly what is the breakdown. I know a lot of times they have that sticker at the pump. They'll have that pie chart. Uh, at other gas stations, it's a little more clearly laid out about uh, what percentage is going where. So we're going to try and sort that out for you so that you can spread your ire and your disgust around uh, in an appropriate <laughs> fashion as it comes yeah, to 10%, uh, gas prices. Yeah, 10% can be angry at the province, and then you right. have another 10% of your anger go towards the feds, <laughs> and then like 3% of you should be really mad at somebody else, and yeah. So do you think that, because Canadian Tire across the street is still at $1.19, so they didn't hike their price before they shut down last night. So do you think if people are waiting Ooh, when they open, good question. when does they the price jump there mm. for stations that are still at yesterday's pricing and haven't hiked it? Do they hike it before they open or what do they do? Somebody's at home with their 
with their iPhone raising the price on the pot before they unlock the doors, I imagine, or something similar is taking place. But yeah, I, th- that's a great question, Brett and Gary. Also, have you ever like pulled into a gas station yes. as they were hiking the price? Yes. Once. Yeah. And you just want to go up and you're like, it's like when you get a parking ticket, the guy's like writing your parking ticket now. You're like, no, 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 I'm right here. Uh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I finished the, writing it Trying already. to pull the gas thing out. You're like, oh, it's not, it's at 112, 113, I'm at 114. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I wonder if when you're pumping the gas, no, the it's price stuck goes. with the, okay. well, it depends what they do first. Like the sign is the, I think the depends on the gas station, yeah. maybe the last thing to change. They change the price at the pumps and then the sign goes up. In the ones that I've talked to about it, because they're like, well, don't worry about it. It was already changed at the pump. Like you didn't just beat it or almost beat it. We now are changing the sign after the fact. If you're driving in this morning, you might notice something's changed at the gas station. Yeah, late Sunday night, early Monday morning, gas prices hovered around $1.14 in Winnipeg. With the introduction of the carbon tax, they then climbed to about 119 per liter. And then yesterday afternoon, it started. Many gra- gas stations across the city moving into the evening. They've climbed again to about 126, even though there are some posted prices that are less than that. Uh, the gas station might not actually not be open yet. That's not the result of the carbon taxes latest hike. So what is going on? And when it comes to gas taxes, do you really know just how much is going to governments? To help break it down for us, we're joined by Dan McTigg with gasbuddy.com. Good morning, Dan. Uh, good morning, unless you're driving. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. And as I mentioned, started yesterday afternoon for me. First, the the jump in the prices at the pump. What what's behind this second hike this week that most of us saw in Winnipeg and that we're we're seeing either yesterday or this morning? I think gas stations have decided to throw in the towel and not try to compete against uh, Costco in particular. Costco has a uh, pricing advantage over everyone. Refiners. Uh, uh, really trip over themselves to make sure that they get uh, supply. And so they're given a three-cent advantage that very few, especially independents, get uh, in the Winnipeg market. So I think most of us said, look, if everyone's going to uh, beat themselves up for a penny or two or pr- push prices below cost, uh, then you know we're going to re- re- restore our margins and we're going to try to stay in business. And if people want to line up to save 10 cents a litre, great, wonderful, but uh, we can't uh, we can't afford to survive. And I think that's possibly why you've seen prices move up to the 126.9 uh, range, uh, some a little lower, and they may trickle down over the uh, course of the day. But if I look at both Costco's that you have, they're 115.9 uh, as of six minutes and an hour ago on our Gas Buddy website. And, you know, when I look at the, the breakdown in prices, uh, I can only assume that they have a cost advantage, uh, which is at least uh, two cents greater than anyone else, even in the best prices. Because if I'm a gas station owner today, my price is about a buck seventeen. How do I sell it for you know a two, a two cent loss? Honor credit cards, pay for my staff, pay for my electricity. The fact is that uh, there is an unlevel playing field. Uh, it's great for consumers. We always want the lowest price. But if the lowest price comes because someone is gaming the system, then I think that's uh, that's that's an important consideration. But I think gas stations have decided enough is enough. Uh, they have to survive, and to do that, they have to restore their, their retail margins. At the same time, the federal and provincial, particularly the federal government, is helping itself to an even greater chunk of the pie. 
But it feels like you're sort of being taken advantage of in a week when on Monday the carbon tax went into effect and you're expecting, you know, a four to five cent hike. And then you have this other second hike this week. It feels like the gas companies are just, you know, ro- jacking the prices because we will all just blame governments. Yeah, Lauren, the, the fact is that, you know, refiners are the ones making the money here. Uh, and that's not something that retailers have much control over. Uh, we do have control over, uh, to a large extent, taxes. And, of course, we did see those go up uh, 4.6 cents a litre. But, yes, I, I have often noted something I refer to, hashtag gas bar shenanigans, where gas bars, uh, again, are buying fuel and uh, selling it for at or less. And you've got to sell a lot of beef jerky to make up the difference. Uh, if you're in the gas business of selling gasoline, uh, it's a very cutthroat competitive market. And uh, I don't blame the marketing strategies used by other large big box stores and retailers. But again, I think people have to understand that at 115.9, that's at or below cost. And, uh, you know, I'm a Costco member. I pay my 80 bucks a year for my membership. I know they don't honor my Visa credit card. Uh, I know other gas stations do. So there's different services offered. But what is clear is that nowhere in the United States and certainly nowhere in Canada ought we to have a situation where business can't actually gain a margin to stay in business unless, of course, they have a rich uncle, a generous bank, or they're cross-subsidizing the loss of the pump. So, Dan, if this is closer to the actual cost, I was anticipating you were going to tell us that this had something to do with summer gas and the uh, more expensive uh, version of gasoline that that gas stations sell to us in the summertime. Are you telling us we're going to see another jump when that gets in the system? That's already started to be factored into the price. We price based on the U.S. Midwest uh, uh, wholesale price for gasoline, the rack price out of, uh, rather spot price out of Chicago. They've already started that almost a month ago. So you might see a pennies increase. It's really more Eastern Canada, uh, you know, uh, everywhere east really of Thunder Bay because most, all Thunder Bay's gasoline comes from Winnipeg. Uh, but anywhere really east of Thunder Bay to the Maritimes, We'll see the shift uh, ultimately by about five cents a liter. You're already seeing that price baked into the current price you're seeing today, uh, and of course that means that uh, you know we may not see the p- price shock that they will further uh, throughout eastern Canada. But be fortunate you're not living in Vancouver. It's a dollar sixty-three point nine going to a dollar sixty-four point nine tomorrow morning. They are breaking all-time records over there. Winks. So on on the price, like the price of the pumps right now, dollar twenty six nine. So what's the actual price of gas before all the taxes come in? Uh, about eighty three point two cents a liter, and it's going up point seven tonight. So eighty three point two is the number that is offered. You can see that by the way, Petrocan daily rack price or terminal price. They'll have it right there. Uh, now there are discounts to that, so some may be getting it for as little as uh, eighty two, eighty one. Costco gets it for 79 uh, but the reality is that uh, when you break all that down, the retailer gets about $0.08, cents, $0.09, cents, which isn't a lot. Uh, when you consider $0.02 cents of that might be going to honoring a Visa credit card uh, or any type, other type of credit card, of course, and the cost itself of running a gas station is nominally about $0.08 cents a litre in Canada, especially if you're in a more expensive retail uh, real estate market. Uh, and downtown Winnipeg uh, is not exactly cheap, so... Uh, running a gas station, uh, paying your municipal taxes and all your overhead is not uh, something you can do at zero margin. The federal government, by the way, picks up uh, on a day like today at uh, 126.9, is picking up 20.45 cents a litre, while the province remains at 14 cents a litre. So 20 cents goes to the feds on my on my one litre and another 14 cents to the province. That's right. The and province then, hasn't and, changed in years. The feds have. And then on top of that, then there's GST added. 
No, the GST is added in that. So the Fed is ten cents on every liter, plus four point four two, which is the carbon tax, and the GST at one twenty six nine works out to about six point zero three cents a liter, more or less. Well, the good news so that's is about twenty four, twenty point four cents a liter. The good news is there's no PST on on gasoline in Manitoba. Can we look at it that Don't way? Give many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be an expensive year, though, and as I mentioned at the beginning of uh, January uh, with your uh, colleagues, uh, uh, Richard Cloutier, and uh, we've mentioned that at the beginning we would see volatility of, of the extreme nature here across Canada, which gas prices average in Canada would be the highest going back to 2014. So gasoline is back and diesel even higher. So uh, both those factors are going to start to uh, hit uh, everyone's bottom line. Dan, we've just got, we're probably over time here, but the, the bottom line is oil's at about 60 bucks a barrel. What happens if we see $100 a barrel uh, oil again? Well, the Canadian dollar's not responding to the therapy. In the past, the Canadian dollar went up in value. That was important because we price all of our commodities in U.S. terms right now because the Canadian dollar is uh, languishing at 133, 134 to buy a U.S. dollar. It's costing you and I an extra 14 cents a liter. We go to $100 a barrel and Canadian oil doesn't get delivered to other countries. In other words, you know, uh, we continue to block pipelines. You can expect a 14 to 15 cent a liter hike just on that alone. Dan McTagg, GasBuddy.com, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dan, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, folks. Mackley, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Yesterday, we were talking about this. You could not live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. Avengers Endgame crushes the pre-sales first day record in like six hours, defeating the previous record of Star Wars The Force Awakens. And then that made Greg think of a story from when he was just a, a wee little boy. What happened when you were six, Greg? Well, I can remember coming to Polo Park. Polo Park used to have one of the nicest theaters in Winnipeg, just across from where the Sears was at the south end of Polo Park. Oh, wow. On the south end? Yeah. Uh, so, yep. Okay. Yep, where the little loop is on the west side of Polo Park, yeah, just okay. near the Sears there. Gigantic theater, big screen, and coming over on the bus to see Star Wars. Well, it was sold out at Polo Park. Well, the King's Theater was just a few blocks away. Yeah. It was pouring rain, and we walked over to the King's Theater because the timing worked out. But people were cutting in line, uh. and I'll never forget my mom looking down and saying, we're not going to get in. It's sold out and going home without seeing the movie. And to imagine that that would happen these days is pretty much impossible, right? Because you, most of us buy our tickets online. It's a guaranteed situation when you're going to the movie for the most part. And that's brand new in the last few years. But I'll never forget being devastated about not being able to see Star Wars when it first came out. How long did you have to wait before you finally got to see it? I think it was the next weekend, finally saw it at Grant Park. Oh, that would have been an eternity for a six-year-old. It, well, it, it seemed like it. But we didn't know what we were missing either. You just you just heard from your friends yeah. that had seen it. It's not like you saw the trailers, maybe the TV commercial, and of course the quarter-page ad in the newspaper de- declaring Star Wars was here. And I think it played in Winnipeg for well over a year. Oh, well, we just probably. had a listener text now. He also sat outside Grant Park Mall in 1980 and 1983 for the Empire Strike. Breaks back Empire. and Return of the Jedi. There we so go. 
Says he made a lot of new friends because he's waiting in line. I guess that's how that goes. <laughs> Jeff Braun, all the couch potatoes and an avid uh, concert goer. Uh, you must have waited in a number of lineups. Not really. I, I never had a credit card till I was like 35, so I never had to buy tickets. So that was always somebody else's problem. Then <laughs> my my, bu- my buddy uh, Hebert, he stood in line for like three and a half hours to get Springsteen tickets for us that one wow. time. Yeah, so I never really had to do that. And for movies, uh, I've. I don't mind waiting. I'd rather go Monday afternoon when it's not so crazy busy or even wait a week. I, I don't care about going opening weekend. So I, because I just don't, I don't like lines. So I don't mind avoiding them. Wow. The worst, the worst line I was ever in was, I think, three hours for uh, the Back to the Future ride at Universal Studios. Yeah. Oh. That was worth it because that was the best ride I've ever really? been on. I'm yeah. sorry. And how long did you say you waited? Three hours. Three hours. Oh, three three one-hour lineups. It was one of those deceitful things where, oh, we're almost at the front. And you go through a door and there's another giant airplane hangar sized room full of people that you have to wait and you can't get out of the line. Amusement park, that that's a you touched on one a great one there, because I went to Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, which is sort of like the world capital of roller coasters and they're always competing for the biggest, the fastest. And I was with my Uncle Dan and their their biggest ride is called Top Thrill Dragster. And it's one of those coasters that shoots straight up. Oof. It like launches you from the start, and then you go straight up and then straight down. It was, it's, I think it's four hundred and twenty-five feet tall. Oh, stop! Now the ride is like ten <laughs> seconds long. We waited in line for an hour, but it was kind of raining, so they shut it down <gasps> because it was unsafe. Ugh. So we so we got out of the line, and then when they opened the ride up, we ran back to line, and we waited <laughs> another ninety minutes. My God! I calculated. I was on the rides. <laughs> I, I was in line that day for eight and a half hours for I think eleven minutes total of ride time. That's See, insane. The, the line yeah. in amusement parks, like we, we went to the Mall of America last year, and um, my son and I stood in line for this Ninja Turtle ride, which went way up high and spun. And I was all not for it, but he wanted to do it. And my husband's like, "No, go for it!" But I'm out. Like, and uh, the lineup makes you like it, the anticipation is great, but then all we both were so stressed. But we got to the front because we're like, I don't know, like, is this a good idea? It just, I don't, I'd rather just have no line and get on that ride because I don't want to think about it. Did you get on? Yeah, no, we got on. And, and then the whole time I, I faked a grin because I was like, <laughs> didn't want him to be scared, you know? And he, he kept saying, oh, whoa, 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 hey, mom, this is really like, and I was like, oh, it's great. And the whole time I'm thinking of ways to escape and escape plans and how I would save him if the, <laughs> the ride went down. And no, I hated every yeah, second Yeah, last time it. I was in line for a roller coaster, it was the whole time I was just staring at, they kept shutting it down for safety things. They kept oh, trying to adjust the, stuff. That's the best. So you're just staring at the whole thing, like looking at all the girders and bolts and stuff and wondering what's yeah. loose and what's not and looking at the carny <laughs> and wondering like how much does this guy care about his job, you know? And yeah. It's just, it's unsettling. Fortier? I, uh, <laughs> I've been trying to think of what have I been disappointed at that I've been waiting for and I, I can't think of anything except for gas prices and uh, taxes. <laughs> and I'm still disappointed. <laughs> You're waiting for your cable and internet to get hooked up. Oh, that's, that's a pretty true, miserable yes. wait, isn't it? Absolutely. That's true, yeah. We got another text here from somebody saying, Before online, Ticketmaster. Every concert we went to required camping out overnight to get tickets, which was usually a pretty good time, actually. And, uh, yeah, I kind of enjoyed the... And I think at this time it was still select a seat. You would get the mm-hmm. that's yeah. such a Winnipeg thing. The yeah. wristband system. You had to sure. first go get a wristband. I don't know how many days before the tickets went on sale. So you have to go get a wristband, and then you got to go back to where you got your wristband from. For me, it was often Regent Park Pharmacy in Transcona, and there'd be this lineup out the door. And I kind of liked the wristband system because there was no way. Like you had to, it was a it was a mandatory honor system, right? You couldn't cut the line. 
Right. Because it was in order. I even like the idea, like, the whole booking your tickets online and everything. I don't know. It's taken the fun out of, like, if you wanted to go see a movie really badly and then you'd get, you had to be organized and get there early and you'd get in line and be like, oh, my God, there's so many people here. Because <laughs> you gonna, feel like you Are we going to get this ticket? And then you get to the front and you're like, woo! Like, I've I'm never the, really experienced that. Yeah, you don't want yeah. to. You don't know what you're missing. You don't, yeah. <laughs> well, Tom, yeah. Tom says he, that he camped overnight at the U of M for Pink Floyd tickets. Lots of interesting goings on that night, I bet. Uh, great memories with my friends. Unfortunately, that was a better time than the actual Ooh. concert. So Loren McNabb right now is trying, she is feverishly trying to find some audio from something that she covered. It was a lineup situation and it involved kids and screaming parents. So hopefully she can dig that up. She's gone deep into some kind of global TV archive that we don't have access to. She knows she's like Indiana Jones. She's the only one that can raid the, or she can that can raid this temple and find the hidden treasure. I have a sense there's an actual pipeline. She's in Toronto right now. <laughs> High speed. You remember those air tubes yep. like they used to have at the Free Press or at the Tribune? I remember going to take a tour at the Tribune once upon a time, and that was the coolest part. Part of the tour was those high-speed oh. vacuum tubes. I wonder how many people would stick their hands in there just to see what happened. <laughs> Way too many. I would be the guy to do that. The same number of people used to touch the plates at Chi-Chi's. You'd come out with a cloth, and those plates would go in the oven, and you bring it out, and you go, now just to let you know, these plates are really hot. Uh, just please be careful. And you'd turn your back for like a half a second, and you'd hear somebody go, oh, that is hot. <laughs> I, yes. I, I am that guy. Yes, that's why I warned you it was hot. That's why I use the, it's called a hot cloth. But so we had this conversation at 645 because Avengers Endgame tickets went on sale Tuesday and it was chaos trying to get tickets. I was able to secure tickets for the 6 p.m. show Thursday night at Polo Park, but it was tough. Websites were crashing all over the place, and that reminded Greg of, you know, remember when we actually had to stand in line to get tickets? <laughs> and he talked about how when he was six, tried to go see Star Wars at Polo Park when the theater was back at the South End. It was sold out there. They went over to the King's Theater on Portage, waited in line in the pouring rain, and then it finally sold out, and he didn't get to see it. So we got some great stories from you guys at 204-780-6868. One person saying, hey, I think everyone in their 40s and 50s stood in line for the Rocky Horror Picture Show on Main Street. I did not, but yeah, I mean, that was, uh, and I still think people, uh, they still do Rocky Horror Picture Shows in the city. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, I've never been, but that's something that, I think that time has passed. I don't think I'll ever do it. Ah. But, uh, you know, at the certain time, I can remember my friends going and buying a bag of marshmallows for that particular scene and going and having a great time. It's not really my, not really my thing. Somebody says, I waited outside the old Winnipeg Arena with hundreds of other people for Garth Brooks tickets about 25 years ago. Select a seat had us all lined up and gave everyone a number. Then they drew a number, and that was the starting point of the line. Mm-hmm. So if you had number eight and they drew number nine, you were last in line. Forgot about that aspect of the lineup. And I conveyed to the person that sent us that note. I could remember being in San Francisco. Same situation. They only had 500 tickets available on game day for Giants tickets. And at 3 o'clock, you would line up. 
Mm-hmm. And my brother and I kind of strategically placed ourselves in, you know, one third and one third of the line so that no matter which number got drawn, we would we would eventually be okay and and get close to the to the front of the line. Now Loren McNabb has come back. She has raided the Lost Ark. She well, did it. I just wanted to remind everybody about how we can behave in lines and how we haven't behaved in the past. About four years ago, Disney on Ice offered some free tickets to a show. I think at least a thousand people came for these free tickets. The first X number of people, not the first people in line, but they had only so many free tickets to give. And so the lineup started at the gates of Bell MTS Center where you, the will call, and wound all the way back through the convent, through the, through the rink, through the city place. Like it was a thousand people deep and it wasn't first come first serve. And it was explained to them like this. To discourage people from camping out for special sales events, Ticketmaster doesn't use first come first serve. Instead, everyone in line is handed a random number, and whatever number is drawn then becomes the start of the line, with anyone in front of that moving to the back. Here we go. Standard practice that was explained to everyone here and still. Not exactly a mob scene, but not exactly Disney either. Swearing common at ticket sales? <laughs> this is Disney on Ice. It's a wonderful family show and 100 years of magic. PG people. PG. It was intense. <laughs> it, 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 and it was like F-bombs and there's parents Whoa. staying there with their children. And I get we like a free deal, people. Like, I understand the that. Tickets, and the tickets were free. And I understand you've been waiting for hours, but it was explained over and over again, this policy. And it's a, it's a confusing one, right? You think you show up at 5 a.m. Well, I should get the first tickets. Well, no, they drew a number. The number was, say, 300. They went to the 300th person in line, and then that's where the free ticket handout started. But my gosh, it was like, I, I was like, you're sweating. You're like, oh boy, the children, people, the children. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimate concern for yes. the children in yes. this case. And I don't know if I've seen that. I'm sure there are stories like that out there from people waiting in line, you know, fights and things back in the 80s and 90s when you really did stand up. But for Disney, a nice boy, oh boy. Text message, you used to have to line up at the U of M on registration day to get the courses oh, you wanted. That's right. right. You would bring lawn chairs and maybe some beer and line up 14 hours before it opened. It was all manual and paper-based, of course. That uh, that was before my day, but I, I remember enough people and knowing uh, cousins and, and people that were older than I was that went through that process. But it wasn't that much more fun when you were doing the telephone reg- registration, when you got that block of time in the mail of when yeah. you could register yes, for your that's courses. Right. That's Right. And you'd have to organize your day to make sure that you, you had all the time to pick your courses. And then, oh, I got into this one, but I didn't get into that one. Now I'm going to drop that one and hope I get into this one so you can organize your schedule the way you wanted it. Oh, boy. Those those were great those memories. Were the, were those were great days. No. I still hate the lineups. Like, you know, you can't see the physical lineup when you're registering your kids for things like spring and summer, fall sports and all that kind of stuff. You can't see the lineup, but you feel it. Over the phone, and you feel that stress. You can swear at home. There, go ahead, swear there. We want to continue the conversation on gas, but as it pertains to the roads. Yeah, by now you've heard Mayor Brian Bowman's assertions that the province of Manitoba has shortchanged this city $40 million in funding earmarked for street repair, which has led to the residential street renewal program being completely abandoned in the 2019 City of Winnipeg budget. When the federal government presented its budget on March 19th, it included some extra money from the federal gas tax 
for municipalities across the country. In Manitoba, that means over $70 million for roads, including over $40 million for the city of Winnipeg alone. Funding issue solved, right? Not so fast. The mayor has said that despite the promise of this money from Ottawa, he isn't willing to roll the dice on the federal budget passing and has also said that it is council which will decide where that money goes once it is in the bank. Caught in the middle are taxpayers who are wondering who believe who to believe, talking about which streets won't be repaired, and contractors who are waiting to find out if any of this work will actually get done in 2019. To expand on this conversation, we welcome Chris Lawrence, president of the Manitoba Heavy Construction Association. And Chris, have we set the table adequately with that description there? And maybe you can fill Re- us in. Re- reasonably well. The the short change of Winnipeg by Manitoba is $40 million, as you point out, and a refusal by Manitoba to enter into a new five-year agreement, which adds another 250 The province will argue that that 250 is offset by the $100 million from the Accelerated Regional Streets Program, but the overall total by which Manitoba is refusing to fund Winnipeg's infrastructure as per well-established practices in the order of $175 million. So your organization is prepared to welcome the mayor this morning uh, at a breakfast with your members, uh, people within the construction industry. What's the number one question for him? Are you looking for those dollars to flow uh, this summer? Well, I think it's reasonable to expect that we're all looking to the mayor to lead Uh, the city of Winnipeg and its citizens from the problems that, quite frankly and sadly, have been foisted upon it by a refusal by Manitoba to honour an agreement. Uh, We know that the mayor has said that uh, his preference is to allocate the $40 million, actually $44 million, uh, to the local residential streets program in 2019, but he's waiting in part for councillors to make up their uh, minds on allocation. The Infrastructure Renewal and Public Works Committee at its meeting a day or so ago uh, made a recommendation to Executive Policy Committee that the full amount effectively be allocated to fix our residential streets, a portion of the $2.5 million for active transit. We support that direction. That will go to EPC next Wednesday and to Council on April 23. How do you plan for this? You know, if you look on the city's website, we see some tenders are out now for different construction projects, but with a note that those projects might not go ahead if not approved by council. So what does the construction industry do when you're in this wait and see period? Well, it's it's an incredibly difficult period because let's assume that you're you're the low bidder on a contract and the restriction on the award is whether or not funding is, is authorized by the city. Uh, Do you then bid other work? Uh, If you do bid other work and it happens to fall within the time frame, how then do you manage your workforce and scheduling? So it makes it really very difficult, if not impossible, to properly not only plan your business affairs, but to tell your workforce where or if they will be working. And that's that's part of the story that that is being missed. There are 15,000 people that are employed by the construction industry whose employment is at risk because of massive cuts by the provincial government, around $700 million to the infrastructure program, and now the impact by provincial decisions on the city's budget. So these are people who are truly innocent in this entire story, 
quite apart from the fact that our residential streets are in deplorable condition and anybody who drives them knows they need to be fixed. But cuts can come. I mean, industries have to adapt all the time to different levels of funding that might come from governments or other or just what's happening in the economy. Oh, of course we do. And that's why we very much support the city's approach, which is an annual and five-year budget. It allows us to plan and project five years out. But when the province shortchanges the city by $40 million just ahead of the budget being adopted, no one can really adjust for that. Chris, what's the overall effect on the industry long-term, this, this extended state of uncertainty if it continues? Well, how do we explain to our workforce that they may or may not have a job? How do we explain to our workforce that there is stability and predictability in income? How do we explain to our workforce that you have a career in this industry when you have the kind of massive cuts that have been thrown at the infrastructure budgets by the provincial government since it was elected, made even worse by the failure of the province to honour commitments to the city of Winnipeg? It means that their stability of income, their ability to provide to provide for their families is impaired. It means the industry's value is impaired. It means we can't invest in plant equipment, capital, education, and training because there is no certainty that there's any work. So it's it's incredibly debilitating on the industry and worse on the workforce, which is loyal to our industry. Chris Lawrence joining us live on 680 CJOB. Chris is president of the Manitoba Heavy Construction Association. Chris, thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much. Mackling McGarry McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. We want to start a conversation here on CJOB and Global News this week about breast implants. The choice to get them and and the possible consequences of making that decision. So right now, Health Canada and the U.S. medical authorities are reviewing the safety of breast implants used by millions of women in North America. That review is why the Winnipegger we're about to introduce you to is speaking out now. Her name is Nikki Carruthers, and she says for years she was unhappy with her body image. So after a lot of research, she decided to go for surgery in 2013. So what was your choice? What did you choose? Um, so I told him, I like, I don't know the sizes, so because I'm not a plastic surgeon. So I basically just said, uh, just put the biggest in me that would fit my body type, because the main concern, I had done research for about a decade. Um, so the main concern I kept hearing was people were, go- uh, were going back for second surgery because they, had, they always said, oh, I, I wish I got bigger because they were too small or they would wear a bikini and they couldn't, like, you know, they were still uncomfortable or whatever and they didn't look the way they wanted for what they paid for. They went through all the surgery. They wanted to be able to actually tell they had a chest now. Um, so I let him decide because I was like, I don't know what would fit in me because I'm so small and I had nothing to start off with. So I wanted to actually have a chest because... I didn't have any, so I basically let that up to him. So you hear that a lot. I know uh, of women who've had uh, implants, and they talk about their decisions of why they to do it. They might have been born a certain way, or with sometimes you're born with different sizes, and it's it's more about you're uncomfortable with how your body looks, and you want to change that. Some people have kids, and your body changes again, and there's all sorts of reasons why women make this decision to go for implants. But it's after her surgery that the implants actually dropped, and Carruthers says she then started to experience extreme long list of other health complications. And so she wants to share her story now because she wants women to be informed before getting this surgery, which is completely fair. So after eight, we're going to hear more from Nikki and also talk to Global's Brittany Greenslade about 
Nikki's story, how her life has changed, and, and why the FDA just said last week it has some things it wants to address when it comes to implants, because there's now been a little-known link between uh, one specific type of cancer and the and certain types of implants that, implants that they're looking into, and so we're going to delve into that more this week. Do you think there's an impression that this is a very safe procedure? It's been around for some time. Do you think most people... Uh, that are contemplating this are worried about the risks or worried about making the right decision with regards to size, how big do they want them, Where, what's on the list of priorities. I know when my kids need to go for surgery, my doctor says, hey, you know, general anesthetic, there is a risk here. It's It's very, very small, but they lay it out. It's very clear that there is a risk, but the problem that they're solving versus the risk of something devastating going wrong outweighs that risk. So you, you go ahead with that surgery. Did, are are women getting this information about the risk? I think that's a great question. I think I come step back down to trust though. Like how often do we all just go to your doctor and if they tell you to do something you, you and tell you it's okay, I think most of us just say okay. So there's many layers to this conversation. It's about the choice that, that people might be making to have any sort of cosmetic surgery and why is that? Any and sort of surgery that's optional, of, period. Anything that's optional at all. Like, you know, how much research do we actually do into it? And then I think because this has been a around six the, since the 60s. We have heard sometimes in the past about problems, but then we assumed that it was sort of addressed and fixed. And these women are here to tell us that it's not, right? And that's why they have their concerns and why they want people to pay attention. I think they very clearly are saying, don't ignore us. Like we have problems and we think they're being ignored. We want to talk more now about one of the top stories we've been following this morning as it pertains to cosmetic surgery. Yeah, we've been sharing with you the story of Nikki Carruthers. Uh, She's a Winnipeg woman who went for breast implants in 2013 and says not long after she got that surgery, she was hit with a whole host of health problems. And it doesn't sound like she's alone. Right now, Health Canada and U.S. medical authorities are reviewing the safety of breast implants used by millions of women in North America. Global's Brittany Greenslade has been looking into their complaints, their claims and their concerns and joins us now. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning. How are you guys? We're very good. Uh, We'd like to start with this story of Nikki. Why did she want to share what's happened to her with you? Because she wants to her story to serve as a warning to other women who are thinking about getting breast implants. We know, as you just said, there are millions of women that have gotten breast implants over the years. And uh, like so many women who get implants, Nikki felt the need to get them because she really wasn't comfortable in her own skin. She was flat chested, she said. She got made fun of when she was growing up. She was bullied. Um, she used to see you know, girls in magazines and on TV and really wanted to look like that. So she, it was a self-confidence issue for her. So um, she got them and she knows that there's a lot of other women out there that were are probably feeling the same way she did. And so she wants to just give them a bit of a warning because she says she didn't know about all of the risks. So let's talk about what happened to her afterwards. Uh, I understand she had the surgery in 2013 and then says not, I think after that the implants fell and then there was other problems that came. Yeah, so she got her implants in 2013. She went from a 32AA to a 32DDD. And what happened was there was a lot of swelling, which is pretty normal right after surgery, but the swelling didn't go down. And she said her chest was always, it was very hard. It hurt. Um, It was hard to breathe. So she went back to her doctor and 
and was told they had bottomed out, which means they'd fallen too low. So she had to go for a second surgery. And that was just over a year later. And that's really when she says all of these health complications started. She started getting mystery illnesses. She was sick for no reason. And it was just, it was unexplainable. Dizziness, the eye swelling, um, the weird pain when you're swallowing, um, the brain fog, uh, difficulty speaking, like you start stuttering when you never did before, all these weird things. And I felt like I was on death's doorstep at that point. I was like, I'm going to die or get these out and I'm not going to go down without a fight. So it sounds like she's fighting now, Brittany, and, and putting this warning out to others. Uh, I know tomorrow we're going to talk to a doctor who can explain a little bit further about what's being investigated. But as far as Nikki's concerned, uh, these implants are now out. Is she feeling better? She got them taken out in 2018, and she said some of her health problems did start getting a little bit better. Um, she says that she's had every issue with every organ has been involved in these problems. Um, it is a, according to her, it's easier to ask her what symptoms she doesn't have. Um, and yeah, some of them have gotten a little bit better, but she's still really in a difficult spot. So Brittany, she had these in for five years. Was she? Does that mean it was just five years of misery for her? She says they're, after the second one, they started to look a bit better and she started to feel okay. But really, that's when all of these health problems started. When she'd taken them out, um, she had been told there was a small hole in one of them. And she actually had them sent away um, to get looked at by a former senior advisor for Health Canada. And he'd found that one was completely ruptured. And they're unsure when that happened. But she, according to him, would have had silicone leaking um, throughout her body before they were removed. And it's unclear for how long. Brittany, what are prospective patients told when they're contemplating breast implants in terms of its safety and, and how safe this procedure is assumed to be or presented to be? It really depends on the doctor. We've reached out to uh, the Canadian Society of Plastic Surgery. Um, all doctors are supposed to give uh, an understanding of the risks that there are involved. There are, is what is called informed consent, that they are supposed to be made aware of all of the risks. Um, as far as we've been told from the Canadian Society of Plastic Surgery, there's not an exact script that has to be followed, um, but they are supposed to get a rundown of all of the risks. And as for Nikki's case, uh, she hadn't, she'd done research on breast implants, hadn't done a whole lot on um, possible issues that have come out of anything. I know this is something that there is a safety review that has been launched. There was a very large meeting in Washington, D.C. just last week um, that had implant makers, it had plastic surgeons, it had health regulators. Um, this is something that is now being looked at. The FDA actually issued a statement after those meetings last week saying, um, and I'm going to quote it for you so I don't get it wrong, we believe the current evidence, although limited, suggests some individuals may be predisposed to develop an immune inflammatory reaction when exposed to select materials. And that alone seems to be quite a big step because it's a theory that has been disputed for years and now it is one that is being reviewed. Global's Brittany Greenslade joining us live on The Start. Brittany, thank you very much. You're welcome. Question of the day at cjob.com has to do with this. It's brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Cosmetic surgeries are on the rise. Would you ever consider it for yourself? Your options are yes, with lots of research. Yes, I've already had some. 
No, the risk scares me, and simply no interest. And so far, no interest leading the way at 62.5%. Yes, with lots of research at 375 you can cast your vote at cjob.com. Well, a growing number of people are getting this, so it's a good, you know, good question to ask. But not just breast implants, but all sorts of cosmetic surgeries, right? And I think sometimes we might just do things um, without without the research, or we, we trust the people that are talking to us, the doctors. Almost like an off-the-shelf solution for a lot of people. For ah, sure. So many people are doing it. It's got to be safe. Surefire Fitness. Catherine McKenzie is here to talk about spring fitness. Catherine, hello. How are you? Good morning. So... Uh, I want to talk about getting ready for my golf game in a moment. But uh-huh. before I do that, you guys were just talking about your kids riding a bike. You said, Greg, you wouldn't let your kids ride the bike. Why? Well, as enticing as it is to get outside right now and to get moving around, with all the gravel left over sand and everything, it's not terrific foot footing right now. In fact, it could be considered dangerous. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of that transition phase where everyone's super excited to get outside and get fresh air and get a little bit of vitamin D after being cooped up all winter. But the city's not really clean yet, and there are still areas where there's lots of snow and ice. I was out for a walk a few days ago and dodging giant uh, snowbanks along the side of the road with puddles, ice, gravel, kind of a mix of things. I did see someone on inline skates, which I was impressed, but also thinking, oh, geez, if she hits a patch of ice or gravel, that, that could be pretty dangerous. So definitely being mindful of where you're where you're out. Well, there's nothing worse than getting active and then you get injured right away. And and so you don't want that. So is this an opportunity to to mix a little bit, your some of your indoor activities along with the outdoor ones? Yeah, for sure. Being mindful of the conditions. I mean, this morning it's a little bit sunny out, but this afternoon it's supposed to snow. So potentially wearing uh, layers uh, to deal with the different temperatures of the wind and things, and then being mindful of your footing. So wearing shoes that are good for outside or uh, trail shoes, which are a little bit more grippy if you're out for a walk or a run, and then being mindful of those icy patches, especially in the areas that are a little bit snow covered, or as Greg mentioned, getting a little bit of your workout still inside if the conditions aren't perfect for you. I'm thinking for myself just here, but is is it... F- noticeable this time of year that we all want to get outside more. I think I'm more active for sure uh-huh. spring, summer, and fall than I would be in winter. But then I kind of come out of the gates a bit too hard. So it's not just about watching for my environment, right? It's about, you know, I go for a run or a walk or whatever, and you I'm not in shape like I was four and five months ago. Like I have lost a bit of my fitness ability. Mm-hmm. Am I alone in that? Or does that kind of happen where we soften? Not at a all. Bit over yeah. the winter? People tend to go into hibernation mode a little bit. And even if they are somewhat active, they might not be doing the exact same types of activities. So outside skiing, skating is very different to your body than golfing or tennis or some of those more outdoor activities. So you do want to prepare yourself for that. And I always recommend easing into that. Obviously, you don't all of a sudden want to run a marathon or cycle 50k if you're not used to doing any of that Um, but also getting some help with that so there are coaches there are professionals that can give you some specific exercises to help you ease into those movements so that you don't get injured because that's the worst case scenario is to get sidelined for six to eight weeks or even longer and then you, you miss half the summer. Well, and as it pertains to me, my activity, as I mentioned, is golf. Mm-hmm. And I'm always reluctant when I first get going because usually I, I always say I'm going to practice in the off season, but I never do. Uh-huh. So I end up because I go three, four months without swinging a golf club. And there, I think 
the last two seasons, I've opened the season, not with an injury, but a definite tweak of my back yeah. or my hip. So is that just because suddenly you're using muscles that you haven't used in that way for so long? Yeah, exactly. And that's fairly common. Your body basically is always adapting to what you're throwing at it. So if you're sitting on the couch all winter or even doing some activity like running or walking indoors in the winter, then your body adapts to that. And then all of a sudden you're throwing in a tennis or a softball or a golf, a rotation sport that's high velocity, your body isn't necessarily prepared for that. So again, I definitely recommend uh, easing into it and then seeking some professional help. So I work with a lot of golfers and we give them a series of drills and exercises to help them uh, and their bodies be prepared to turn better and to have balance and that core stability required for that specific activity. Is it stretching? Is it things like that? Or is it more really because it's it's not movements that you, you're not swinging your arms like that in the winter period? I don't yeah. think, I don't know, Brett, what you're doing at home, but I'm going <laughs> to guess, I'm gonna guess it's not arms up in the air like yeah, that. It's a little bit of both. So everyone's kind of individual based on what they've been doing. But yeah, definitely that mobility piece where is your body even ready to move in those planes and then having the strength and stability to accommodate those movements and then once the person is ready for that then we add a little bit of speed and some more power training to it so this it's kind of a process and most people don't realize that but hence why they jump into their summer sports and get those little aches and pains and tweaks we often hear that recommendation to see a doctor before you you start any sort of exercise program how critical is that in in the overall process of of going say from from slug mode into trying to get into you know you know, know, ground groundhog mode or something that moves a little bit more groundhog mode. I don't know. I, <laughs> the, I blanked the, the on a comparison. The ever athletic groundhog. groundhog. Yeah, that's why we it not the best. He comes out once a year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. From groundhog mode to to something that moves a little bit more cheetah mode. How's cheetah that? Cheetah mode. Yeah. Um, well, if you have any under, underlying medical conditions or you're used to having regular appointment, appointments with your doctor, then yeah, it's always a great idea to run that by them. Uh, Otherwise, physios, athletic therapists, they can assess your mobility or your ability to do the movements required to do what it is you're trying to do. Personal trainers who are qualified could, could do the same for you. Do people actually do that? Like I might, you might hear that you're supposed to seek some professional advice before you hit a routine hard, but I'm curious how many people actually just ignore that advice and, and hit the ground running. This is why physios and ATs remain in <laughs> business. After the fact though, right? <laughs> yeah, and Because exactly. we keep hurting ourselves, yeah. Surefirefitness.ca is the website, and you can follow Catherine McKenzie on social media at Surefire Fitness. And uh, one of the things I'm seeing, and you probably see it as well, I've been seeing it on social media, people all, all of a sudden more fitness posts than usual, and a lot of it has to do with getting ready for summer. Uh-huh. Is that, I mean, I, what, I guess whatever motivation you have to get fit is good, but is it good to, or is it... For some people... Using summer as a goal, like I want to look good in a bathing suit. Yeah, for some people, they might find that motivating. For me, I find that those short-term goals don't always lead to any sustainable health benefits. So whether it's summer or a wedding or a graduation or some sort of specific event that you have in mind, that can be a nice kickstart. But then what happens after that event? You don't want that person to just go back to their poor habits or lack of exercise and poor eating just because whatever that event is, is done. So I prefer to have programs that run year-round or to uh, encourage people to have more of a lifestyle of fitness rather than just preparing for a certain season. How addictive can being in shape become? 
Can it become as addicting as the as the other demons that we battle? Will like I like it more than my glass of wine? Such? That's yes. what I need. That's what I need. Yes. How do you get us addicted Convince me to that this? I will want to go for a run more than I'll want to pour a glass of uh, anything. There's room for both. <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky because everyone's so different and a lot of times exercise and movement is promoted as something that should be torturous and awful and you're going to be in pain and you have to suffer through it and no pain no gain and there may be some discomfort but I do believe that there are activities that everybody can enjoy will that mean that they'll do an Ironman triathlon in their life probably not but not everybody needs to to have that as a goal or an aspiration can they be healthy and active in a way that works for them I do believe that's possible and I do believe it's it's okay to enjoy that glass of wine as well Catherine McKenzie with Surefire Fitness. And on the subject of uh, the short-term goal, trying to get into an event, we've got to fit and cram ourselves in some really tight tuxedos for the Winnipeg Nightlife Awards on April 19th. Loren, I think you said... I lied about my dress size. (laughs) Um, It's really more of an ish. And I might not even even be in that number at all. So I've been, and I keep giving my, I'll start tomorrow. And now I got two weeks left. So I don't really think one comes down to dress size in two weeks. Not in, in a healthy way. Not now. Well, and I have no intention of doing it either way. I guess so I think cl- I need to send an email. Clear soups and bananas for the next oh, nine gross. days. Not a good idea. No, not. No. I don't think that's ever a good idea. No. Sustainable, good. healthy habits. Surefire Fitness will show you the way. Catherine, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We have some breaking news. We have to talk about <laughs> Turkey <laughs> because. Diana Foxall, Global News reporter, has found the turkeys. Diana, where are you? I did find them, and to be honest, this was very exciting. They are at the corner of Osborne and Roslyn. So they are on the um, the northeast corner just by the red brick Roslyn building. And they've kind of staked out that corner from what we've heard from passersby who live in the area. They've been here for about three days or so. And uh, this is where they are just hanging out right now. So we've been hearing from people, I think, with St. Norbert. St. James had wild turkeys. We talked to a wildlife expert a few weeks ago saying it's the time of year you're going to see them. But I think there's not many people in Osborne Village that would say that they've seen wild turkeys before. And in fact, it was even in our traffic reports all morning. So what are people telling you, Diana? Well, exactly that. No one expects to see a turkey sort of right in the middle of the city. Um, One woman I spoke to, she said her friend had seen them and she just didn't believe that. But she happened to be driving by this morning a little before nine. And she jumped out of the car when she spotted them and rushed over and started taking pictures. So no one is expecting this. But for the most part, I know um, the wildlife expert we had on a little while back on the turkey said that they can be quite aggressive this time of year if you get too close. Everyone seems to be keeping a bit of a respectful distance. And for the most part, they are saying, uh, that the turkeys have just been very calm, very quiet. All they're kind of doing is eating. They're not panhandling or anything like that. <laughs> no, so far they're just kind of they're just in in the a little bit of a corner by the building here, and they're just kind of pecking at the ground and occasionally posing for pictures. One of the turkeys did pop his tail feathers back, and that was a pretty nice display. So uh, they're they're pretty chill over here. There's a a video that's making its rounds on Twitter again in the last couple of days uh, from Germany where there's uh, these wood ducks, green back or canvas back ducks in Germany and it's a mama duck and a bunch of ducklings and they actually wait for the light to turn green, the pedestrian light to turn green across this street where the the trains run in a downtown uh, Germany uh, kind of corridor. I don't know if you've seen that one. Uh, Are the Uh, Are the turkeys obeying the the traffic signals, uh, Diana? 
from what we have seen, they are obeying the traffic signals. They haven't attempted to cross. I'm not sure if they are quite as organized as those German ducks. Um, I know, as you mentioned, they might have been holding up some traffic earlier today, so maybe they took a little bit too long to cross and the light turned red. Um, so far, they are just on the corner. We haven't seen them venture out towards the road. But if we do catch them trying to make their way across Osborne, we will certainly let you know. All right. Now, uh, Diane, I understand you spoke to some people in the area. Let's hear what they had to say. I, I, when I first seen them, I thought they were geese, but... Uh... That's the first time I've ever seen turkeys here. But I, I hear they're becoming uh, quite the phenomena all over. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that. Every, every time I see them, they're just sitting here. But a bit less than a week. Well, I was just driving by and I saw them, right? And I, I, my friend actually seen them around in this area before, and I didn't really believe her, but she had pictures. So um, when I saw them, I thought I'd stop by and take a couple pictures because obviously it's true. Now, Diana, we've just gotten a text message from one of our regular listeners, Kristen, who says this group of turkeys is the same group of turkeys that was in River Heights. She says this group of boys lived on Wexford Street. I don't even know where that is. I'm just looking that up right now. They are under a year old. They followed the river and are very lost. Do they look lost? Oh, Wow. Um, they may be lost. They may be the traveling turkeys, uh, but they are just, they, they seem pretty well, well set here. They're not trying to move off anywhere. They've just been at this sort of corner for the past three days from what we are hearing. So they may have made their way over here, but so far it looks like they might be sticking around for a bit. All right, Diana Fox, all joining us live from Osborne Village. Thank you very much, Diana. And Wexford Street, by the way, is west of Assiniboine Park Zoo. It runs off of Roblin. So it goes, uh, uh, what is this, uh, Chalfont Road? Chalfont, yeah. And it's between, and then Cathcart Street. So Wexford runs between those. So, yeah, that's a long way for these turkeys to, to make their way up the Does Assiniboine. anyone know a turkey wrangler? Like, is that a job we could find for someone to get these boys back to Wexford Street? Unless Wexford kicked them out. Maybe there's a whole story there, like a turf war, turkey turf war going on. Maybe they're having a turf war with the peacocks because mm. it's not uncommon to see the peacocks strutting around Winnipeg, but that's more in the summertime. Ones that have escaped the zoo or what have yeah, you. Yeah, and it's usually in that area. Like, I, it, are Oh, you I've seen, seen them on South Drive really? in Fort Garry. It's it's so bizarre. You'll turn a corner and there are these peacocks strutting around and they they spread out their tail feathers. They just, you know, they're exhibiting their magnificence. And uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I hope the turkeys are, are okay. Like, all joking aside, hopefully they're not stressed out because of this. Uh, clearly, they're going to have to find their way somewhere else as, as we make our way through the springtime. With here. people stopping to take pictures and stuff too, right? It could become a bit of a traffic situation. And if they cross at the wrong time or you try to avoid not hitting them, we've seen geese, you know, right? So you got to be careful. <laughs> One of our listeners wants to know if we could interview the turkeys. Clay Young once interviewed a cat. Yep. That is true. Traveler the cat. <laughs> Hello, Traveler. Hi, Traveler. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.